Okay, so stop me if you've heard this one before. Under the glare of the floodlights and the BT Sport cameras on Friday night, Cell producer flaccid, uninspired performance, capitulating to the tune of 13-3 to Saracens. The loss, combined with wins for Newcastle and Leicester over the weekend, sees Sale now down in eighth, having blown the chance to further tighten their grip on a place inside the top six. My name is Lewis, welcome back inside the Shark Tank, and here to conduct the post-mortem with me are my good friends Alex and James. We're, we're all together for the first time in, in months, so it seems. Alex, how are you doing? Very good, thank you, mate. How are you? I'm good, I'm good. I'm glad we've got the proper band back together, back together and I don't just have to talk to James for an hour. <laughs> I should probably. Yeah, uh, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't agree with that more. <laughs> Alex, I'm so pleased to see you, mate. I'm so, honestly, I've I, I never thought I'd just be looking at you and just be like, yeah, I'm just so happy to see your face. Yeah, I mean, if, if the listeners are, you know, are listening to this, you know, to, you know, tomorrow morning or whatever, they're like, oh, this must, this rivalry must all be for show. We were literally saying before we came on air how glad we were to have Alex back, so we didn't have to talk to each other for 50 minutes uninterrupted. <laughs> But anyway, I right. am the glue that holds this podcast together. It's well known. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. We, we've missed uh, we've missed the uh, analytical uh, slant to, to the discussion as well. Me and James are trying to pluck figures from the air. We're glad to have you back. <laughs> but right, let's let, let's just yeah, jump straight into awesome. it. I mean, there's there's not really much to talk about in terms of scoring. Sale producing a measly three points to Saracens thirteen. The game winning try coming off a uh, off a Liam Williams. Uh, superb individual effort really uh, although there's uh, some dodgy defending to be discussed Alex let's just jump straight into it why did Sale lose this game? Uh, because we can't keep holding the ball in crucial positions it's the long and the short of it I mean we holding Saris to 13 points at home is enough to win the game I think I think we should be able to put 14 points on Saris at home and every time we had the ball we just looked completely devoid of that cutting edge that Saracen's extra style you know cutting through the line and just being able to hold on to it I mean I don't want to go into the stats too early but we dropped the ball six times and conceded a total of 17 turnovers and you're never going to win the game and we can't we can't win the ball back at the breakdown because we haven't got the back row to do that and then we throw cough the ball up when we do have it so you know that's the issue the defence was fine I mean, one mistake for Marlon Yard, but that doesn't change the outcome of the game in terms of win or loss. The reason we didn't win it is because we we didn't go out there and actually win the game. We basically sort of... Saracens didn't have to do anything. They didn't, you know, they just played their rugby, turned up, did what we needed to do and went home and we didn't really offer them anything. So who who are the guiltiest culprits then? You know, you, you've, you've sort of tiptoed around a few names. Let's, uh, let's have it out in the open. Oh, what in terms of dropped balls? Yeah, I mean, who 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 was who was you know uh, making the mistakes? Uh, we had two, no, one for Johnny Ross, one for Ben Curry, one for pass from Sam James, Yard Jennings, Solomona, Haley, and um, something called a bad pass from Will Addison, which is not unexpected. Um, and then a couple of lost balls. I mean, so Jennings conceded three turnovers in total, as did Solomona, two apiece for James Yard, Addison, Haley. So it's the back line, really. You kind of saw that as the backs were playing, that when they had the ball, they just looked like they were running one way and then the other. I remember seeing Will Addison sort of run one way and then change direction and run the other. And it's all very impressive, and he's throwing it out of the back. But we didn't actually get anywhere. And then it was there who ended up coughing the ball up. 
James, before uh, before I go on to some of your analysis on, on the game, we want, we want to uh, hit up with hit up with our listeners and provide some three word reviews. As always, uh, every Monday morning, we ask you guys for your opinions on the game. Uh, so, Jamie McAndrew, uh, full time fly half required. Uh, Dan Pot convert line breaks. Ali Baxter no losing bonus point. Uh, Harry Shotton toothless and error strewn. Simon Holman calm down will. Graham Douglas mostly as expected. Matt Sansbury really missing AJ and Joe Brain error strewn loss. James, let's have you engage directly with, uh, with with our lovely listeners. Which of those reviews do you think sums up sales experience the most sort of succinctly and accurately? Uh, yeah, I think the error error strewn display probably. I think that we clearly are missing AJ McGinty. We miss him. We miss any sort of natural ten. But I still think with the ball playing abilities of James and the type at home against the way that Saracens played, we still could have won the game. I, I don't think that that by itself meant that we were always going to lose. So I don't want Sale fans to be hiding behind. Oh well, we don't have a ten, and Sam James at a ten. We we we've proven we can win games with him at ten. Right, I think our biggest issue is obviously our accuracy taking ball into contact. That was that was an issue, um, and I think that Jennings and Addison together in the centre just doesn't seem to work. We really missed that second distributor that we talked about last week, actually. Um, so I, you know, Will, Will Addison looks a little bit lost at thirteen. Has done all season when he's played there. He's looked better there at, 40, at fourteen or fifteen for us. And I do think that that's an issue. Clearly, he's got to do a job there at the moment because we're just we don't have much depth in the centres. But yeah, it's uh, that's that's a bit of an issue. So in terms of the three three word reviews, yeah, I think it's the errors. I think that I'm a bit most concerned about really. So if if we were to sort of put a pin really into where sales sort of backline distribution went wrong, you know, I know obviously it's a collective effort and you don't want to blame one person. But do you think Addison is the square peg in the round hole? Uh, in that sale back line or do you think you've just got to look at it as a, as a collective and say you know it just wasn't good enough from sale on Friday night I think Will's struggling at the moment but you know I think it is as a collective I mean Jennings was making his first start since the beginning of December I mean that is difficult to be coming back and playing the champions straight up um, then you've got Sam James who's you know I think he's better as a second distributor rather than the pressure to create absolutely everything Haley didn't have a bit of an off game so by the time you've done that, I mean, who else is going to be doing things? You, that's when you start seeing Will Allison running across the field. That's what he does. He starts to try and take it all on his shoulders. You know, Captain Fantastic. And every now and again, he might skip through or whatever. But most of the time, he overforces it. And that's meat and drink for Saracens. I, I talked about that in my in my preview last week. They just sit there. They try and watch you force things. They force turnovers. They win penalties. And in the end, that's that is all they that they, they needed to do really. I mean, you know, it's fine to say Sam James wasn't flinging it around and creating loads of stuff. Neither is AJ McGinty, right? Neither did Saracen. Saracen's hardly looked like scoring all game. Yeah, the difference was they didn't make any mistakes. They played in the right part of the pitch most of the times and they got their penalties and, and, and that was it enough. So we've been a bit negative to start the podcast this week, you know, which is, isn't a surprise knowing knowing those three. But James, before we go on to Alex's stats, who who will be able to uh, vindicate his his points a little bit better, uh, you're the you're the eye test man. You're the eye test man here. Do you, it, well, uh, were there any positives from from Friday's game? Because I think it's very interesting to see who you think had a good game on the face of it, just watching the game, seeing what happened, and then comparing it to what Alex is able to provide in terms of the stats. Uh, you know, provided for us by, by Opta. Thank you once again, Opta. Uh, so, James, 
you know, before we before we sort of do a deep dive on the numbers, you know, what are there any positives to take from this game for sale? You know, we there wasn't a bonus point, there wasn't a try scored. It was a very lackluster performance all around. I'm sure we can agree, but you know, offers a ray of sunshine on this otherwise cloudy day. Yeah, two things. I think we had parity up front, pretty much with the champions of Europe. That's not a bad shout. Um, and defensively, apart from one yardy error. We matched them defensively. I mean, you know, it, it should have ended six three really. Um, yeah. That would have probably been a fair reflection of the game. So I don't think there was much in it. So yeah, so I think collective defence, and I think our whole fourth pack stepped up physically. I mean, they worked bloody hard. They must have put in a hell of a lot of tackles. Can you can you point out to any individuals though? Because I'm, I'm, there's one or two names that I want to give special mention to, and I'm interested to see if, if if our analysis of the game matches up. Well, I'll leave, I'll leave that to you. So who, who are your two two names? Well, the, the the players that I sort sort of thought had the biggest impact for Sale, uh, I thought Josh Strauss had a really strong game. Um, he made probably Sale's only line break of the game, uh, sort of midway through the uh, the, the first half. Um, and then I thought, you know, we, we've been saying week after week, he's getting better, he's getting more confident, he's growing into a more integral piece of set of what Sale are doing uh, when they have the ball in hand. And I thought he was pretty solid all over the park. Um, special mention against Will Griff John, who was who I thought had a really sort of outstanding game, and, and Ben Curry and John O'Ross. You know, we're really starting to see those two coming to their own as, the, as these really industrious back row players. They might not necessarily win as as, as much ball as we want, but you know, you, you, when you're going up against a team as methodical as Saracens, I thought they were superb in just getting up for every tackle and, and getting over every rook. And the last name I want to mention is uh, Luke James, who uh, you know at 19. Uh, I believe it might, it's one of his first, only second Premiership appearance. You know, coming into the uh, coming into the Sale team against the reigning champions of Europe, uh, and, and not even even just as a cameo. You know, he comes on for Jennings about the fifty-five minute mark, and obviously twenty-five minutes against you know what is probably the best side in Europe still. Uh, and not only you know doing you know playing adequately enough to you know to give his team a chance and not be a liability, but also impressed. You know, he was holding up players in the tackle. He was hitting rooks. You know, he didn't really put a foot wrong, and obviously, it wasn't the you know the best game for him to sort of showcase his ability and his skill set. But I think the fact that he was able to come in, at, remember, at nineteen uh, and match up reasonably well with Brad Barrett and Marcelo Bosch and, and the sort of gluttony of, of stars that Saracen have was was very very impressive. Uh, Alex, so that that's my sort of eye test view of the game. I mean, are there any names that you think are, are, are worthy of mention? You know, obviously with, with that big bumper crop of stats available to you. Um, Stats-wise, you've actually hit the nail on the head pretty much, you two. Um, so, defensively, 93% tackle success for sale, which is absolutely outstanding, to be fair. And when you compare that to Saris, I think Saris were 83%, so it's bloody impressive to be hitting it like that. I, I'm basically going to read out a list of names you've read out. John O'Ross, 18 tackles, Ben Curry, 18, Ostracup, 15, Wilga John, 13. Um, Ross Harrison and Sam James both with 12 tackles um, Sam James actually a good defensive performance we usually see him struggle a bit in 10 stats wise uh, in terms of tackles made tackles missed but he had an 86% tackle completion rate which is um, very very decent on 14 tackles so all of those and I should say James up front we were 100% in scrums I think we lost one line out so we were 91% in the line out um, to set piece wise we looked really good um, and the only real issue is that we didn't really create anything. Um, but then looking at that, if you go to the stats, Sale made five offloads to Saracens' none, 26 defenders beaten to Saracens' 12, 
So you're thinking, I, I don't understand, sort of, when you look at the stats, it's a very different game to the one we saw, because I think Sale sort of made those opportunities, but maybe necessarily didn't necessarily go finish them off. This this reminds me a little bit of that first game of the season. I remember it was the very first sort of game week podcast we did where Sale played away to Wasp. And I remember you reading out the stats to us, and it was just you know Sale made more turn, more won more turnovers, had more offloads, made more passes, beat more defenders, and yet we still lost, you know, quite handedly. And it's the same thing here, you know. You're looking at the stats, size, is this a game Sale lost rather than Saracens won? Can we can we summarise it that easily? Um, I, I think it does get to that point because. I mean, we made more meters than them as well. So just everything, every attacking stat, we dominated Saracens in. Defensively, we were sort of mixed and discipline was the big issue. We conceded a few more penalties and conceded a lot more turnovers. But in terms of actual, you know, creating things, the way you score tries is you make meters, you beat defenders, you throw offloads. And we dominated in those. So it, I think it is a case of just not being able to execute and yet again we can see penalties in the halfway to opposition 22 which we do all the time and it's like 60% of our penalties there and we're just popping the ball up in crucial areas well I wonder as well whether one of the skills that we lack as a team is is a winger or a fullback who really tracks play and follows the play if you look at what Chris Ashton does for example and the reason why he scores so many tries is he just seems to be able to read where the ball's going to end up so he gets on the end of these things. Whereas sometimes I think that when we play within our structures, we can score off like, you know, first, second, third phase. Once you get past that, right, then all of our players try and do stuff themselves, an individual piece of magic. Will Allison tries it, Pat the Clerk tries it. They always try something themselves. And, you know, if that happens, then you need, you know, if you just get your arm beyond or as a little sneaky half break, that's when you need your, your wingers tracking the play ready for somebody else's piece of magic. And I just wonder whether so Solomon has never really had that in his in his play, which is which is fine. Um, but we we maybe lack that a little bit. Haley very rarely gets on the end of things. He usually strikes from like set piece or um, off of, off lots of an early phase play, really. So do you, or if it's really really loose and he does it all himself. So do you think the issue there is that Sale are sort of too structured in how they try and throw the ball around you know they've got a, a three phase plan and then after that it becomes sort of a free-for-all or do you think it's because the, the, the sales forward pack doesn't necessarily have the go forward to break the the game and play back open again for the backline players to take advantage of what do you think the issue is well I think it's all of those things for this game because we did you know even though we got parity up front we weren't able to get huge quantities of front football with our pack so that put then the onus on people like trying to do something in the backs, which is when you get the errors. So I mean, look, you see, see Saracens do it to nearly every single other side. So it's not it's not just us. So I wouldn't have full on panic stations just yet. I don't think it's just that we struggle beyond third phase. But then I think that that's when you want your ten to maybe just drop back, or you know, you want an excellent box kick from your scrum half. And I think both of those areas are areas of weakness for us uh, as tactical kicking, especially when then you Sam James isn't in the centre. And let's be honest, I don't think we'd be backing Mark Jennings or Will Allison to be putting in a, a nice little kick through. Um, so, I mean, Allison either puts his foot through it and like nearly kills the ball and probably somebody <laughs> in the stand. Um, or, or, you know, he's not going to be putting a little dink over the top or anything, is he? Yeah, I think that's our issue that we do sort of hit the nail on the head. We have three phases and we look quite good. 
And then it's where do you go from there? Who's driving the play? And especially with Sam Jones at 10, we don't have that person. And we don't really have it with AJ either. We tend to have the same issue. We don't have anyone sort of driving the play on and, you know, coming up with new ideas. And I think that's what Cipriani gave us a lot of the time was sort of the ability to be five phases in and create something. He's still doing it for Wasps. And you look at our games this season where we perform well, and most of it, we've done it off first or second phase ball or off intercepts. You know, we think of the Gloucester game. I don't think we had a period of concerted pressure in the whole 80 minutes, and yet we scored 57 points. So I think that's probably our issue, that we don't have that ability in the later phases to close it out. But I think I think we even had this exact problem with, with the Saracens game because there was a, a beautifully worked move off, off a line-out in the second half that put Marlon Yard through a gap. Uh, and Yars makes, you know, 30, 40 metres uh, on this lovely inside ball that sort of just cuts, you know, straight through the Saracens line diagonally. But as soon as he went to ground and, you know, 20, 30 metres away from the try line, I knew nothing was going to come of this because after that first phase, it was almost as if we weren't expecting it to work because he didn't have any support runners. And I think that's one of the things that annoys me most with Sale is they just don't seem to have... The players that they have don't seem to have the wherewithal to be in the right positions at the right time to take, you know, the offload in the tackle or take the last pass to get over the line. I think that's the most frustrating thing for me because I think we can see, even without McGinty, even without a Cipriani-esque figure, you know, or without O'Connor, Sale can still create something out of nothing. That's just how this team is built. The worrying thing is they don't have anyone to convert it at the end, which is frustrating to say the least. Let's, uh, Alex, I'm going to give you your choice now. There's two key moments in the game that I want to talk about before we move on. Do you want to talk about Rob Webber's uh, and Liam Williams' yellow card, or do you want to talk about the Liam Williams try? Uh, um, which Okay, which one was more important to, to the outcome of the game, do you think? Oh, Liam Williams' try, for sure. I think, yeah, if we, if we talk, let's talk about that. Um, it is indicative of a player who's come in mid-season not aligned with our defensive structures necessarily as well as the rest of the team are. And it's just a miscommunication. Uh, it's just an error. And I think, to be fair, it's not necessarily entirely Marlon Yard because he may have operated in the defensive structure at Quinn's, which is very much on the inside players. And I think that's very true because Visser at Harlequins is exactly the same. He's the sort of player who just gets away with not really doing anything. And so that was just, it was just a massive issue that basically lost us the game in that moment. But at the same time, it wasn't the reason we lost the game, if, if that makes any sense at all. Um, so a bit of work for Yard to do, but I would still, I think it still just puts into perspective that McGuigan and Solomon are probably our first choice wingers for consistency. Okay, James, so Alex has taken the, the Lee Williams try. Can you talk us a little bit about your thoughts on, on the Rob Webber incident and the yellow card? Um, for me, it's not it's not a yellow card for both of them. Lee Williams definitely instigates the situation. If you look back, Webber gets booked for holding Schalk, uh, Berger down. On the replays, it's clear Berger's got a hold of his of his shirt. I see I see understand why it's given, but I think you then have Williams running over from, from 10, 15 metres and, in, and inflaming the situation. But you look at the context of where Sale were. They were in the twenty-two. They were pushing, you know, for a for, for a score that would have, you know, tied the game. To then get the penalty, but lose, but lose a key, you know, 
part of their pack and obviously have the advantage of the Williams yellow card being negated by having Weber sent off, it sort of undermined the you know the chance that Sale had to take the lead or at least you know bring bring Sale back to parity. Can you sort of talk us through where, where you stand on, on, on the Weber yellow card? Do you think it was the right decision or do you think Sale can consider themselves unfortunate? I think Sale are definitely unfortunate, but I can see why it was given. But you often see people getting held to the floor or someone pushing themselves off off someone's face. You know, there's been sort of flying in arms and all that kind of thing. I might have, might have gone with it. I think it was a bit harsh. I would also say on that that Weber's issue is the same thing as TJ Uani's issue in the Exeter game when he gave away a penalty in that it happens all the time on a rugby field and you see it on TV but people don't necessarily do it right in front of the referee where it's clear and obvious. So I think it's sort of it's just a bit of a stupid decision. I do think I agree it's harsh, but I can understand why it was given and he's basically said, Right, you two you two are the cause of this, you're both going off. So you can get it and it's just a bit of lack of nous from sale in terms of playing the ref. You know, if you're going to wind up Saracens, which is a great thing to do because it's exactly what they do to everyone else, just don't do it right in front of the referee. Right. Last thing for me on, on the Saracens game. Uh, man of the match, do you, do you have a, a particular standout player from either team? I'm going to go I'm going to go slightly controversial after just discussing the Weber incident. I'm going to say um, Shout Berger for Saracens, who I thought was absolutely immense. He did everything John O'Ross and Ben Curry do, but he also uh, turned the ball over. Uh, and he, he's one of those players... For me, and it, this is a bit of a, it's a bit of an idiom within rugby. Everyone seems to love those players that play on the edge, play on the line. You know, this border between legality and you know, cynical play. And I think Berger does it so well because the amount of things he gets away with that are maybe not technically legal is very sort of in that sort of grey area. You know, holding onto the ball maybe a little bit longer than he should. You know, sucking players into uh, into rocks and sealing them off. It's the sort of thing that it frustrates you to no end when you're watching an opposing team and an opposing player do it. But when that player is on your team and seeing the difference that it makes, I think shows just how valuable a player Berger has been for Saracen since he joined. And obviously, he's you know at the end of his career, he's come in as this sort of experienced head to replace some of the some of the players who've, who've gone got abroad and to seek uh, to seek a large payday in France and the like. Berger's been absolutely immense for Saracens, and I think. You know, you look at all the the, the key players, the, the sort of leadership squad that was away with the, with England and and you know all the other countries that Saracens have, have players represented. Berger for me, he's a rotational player at Saracens, but he could still get into any squad in in the Premiership, I think, because because of his his nous and, and knowing how to play the game the right way and how to play the game the wrong way, but still get away with it. So for me, Shout Berger was my man of the match. James, do you have any thoughts on on who should uh, who should take this honour? Well, I, know, I think Juan Fagaggio got it officially, didn't he, mm, mm. for Saracens? Yeah. I thought he, what I thought he, he was brilliant. His work rate, rate was brilliant around the the park and slowing ball down. Thought Ben Spencer as well. You know, he did what he needed to do for Saracens. Um, thought he played, showed up well. Alex, um, can I? I'm gonna. I mean, those two obviously, but um, I thought. Ben Curry and John O'Ross, just from a sale perspective. Um, as we said, our forward pack had an absolute stormer. Um, but yeah, I'd probably, if I had to pick a sale one, which I'm going to because you both on Saracens, 
I'd say Johnny Ross continues to be one of the most consistent players we have on the field without necessarily being very Hollywood headlines. He just does everything right. Um, so from a sale perspective, uh, him, Auburn Curiel, Will Griff, John, I'm being very indecisive, but I'll go with Johnny Ross. Right, well, let's move on from the disappointment of Friday night and, and move on to some happier news. Uh, I don't know if you two saw this earlier today, uh, but Sale have another international again. Josh Strauss has been named in the Scotland squad to face England this weekend as part of the Six Nations. It's a bit of a strange one with Strauss, isn't it? Because he, he, he came over to Glasgow from, from the Bulls in South Africa, very much a project player, you know, qualified in residency. He was a big part of Scotland's um, uh, Six Nations squad last year. He was the starting number eight and... and over the sort of last two years, he's amassed, uh, I think it's 11 or 12 caps. Obviously, he announced his departure from Glasgow, moves to Sale, uh, and wasn't included at all in the original Six Nations squad or the Autumn International squad. Um, although I do think he was included in the, in the uh, Summer Tour to Japan. Alex, can you give us uh, any any thoughts you have on, on Josh Ross being picked by Scotland? You know, is it is it a reward for the for rich vein of form he's in for, for Sale at the moment? Or do you think it's, you know a bit of pragmatism from Scotland to, to get one of their best players back, even though, as indicated by his absence in the earlier Six Nations squad, his move to sale might have actually dampened his international prospects a little bit. To be fair, I think based on his performances at sale, he didn't deserve to be in either the Autumn Internationals or the initial Six Nations squad. And I think he's probably... The, the way I would see it is that Gregor Townsend has looked at him as coming back into form, so he's bringing him back in rather than he's not really going to claim his place um, but he's just steadily improving getting back to it and I think he'll be one of those you get those players his second season is so much better than the first and it happens quite a lot because obviously your first season there's loads of people new systems new people everything so I think um, it is just a, it's sort of a bringing him back into the fold with a view to him improving as he comes back to Scotland rather than I don't think he's earned it and I don't think it's anything to do with you know bringing him back on side I just think it's quite a sort of long-term decision from Townsend. James where do you stand on the idea that Strauss was potentially excluded from Scotland after he announced his decision um, to join Sale on the basis that he wasn't going to be part of Scottish rugby anymore he wasn't going to be training with um, multiple members of the Scottish international squad every week at Glasgow and that's why someone like Cornell Dupree's was has been preferred to him in the past. Do you think there's anything in that, or do you think that is just? Uh, uh, do you agree with Alex that his his you know poor run of form at the start of the season for Sale was the reason why he wasn't getting a look in? I think uh, yeah, he didn't he didn't make himself like completely like you know had to be picked. That was the thing. So I think that Gregor Townsend was probably thinking, well, you know, I need to build some depth before the next World Cup. And Josh Strauss is a known entity who's kind of like 30-31. You know, and if he's still fit by the next World Cup, then he's probably going to be in my squad as an experienced eight. But what I want to do is find an eight who's actually going to take us to the semi-finals of the World Cup. So let's build some depth. Let's let's, do what we need to do there while he's focusing on settling in at a new club and getting himself back into form. I think he's now back within the envelope of form to be picked for international rugby. Um, and so I think he's picked the right moment to, to bring him back. I think, you know, looking ahead to, uh, you know, playing England, for example, that's, you know, that's clearly going to be an extremely attritional game. And I think if there's one thing you could say about Scotland so far in the Six Nations, 
it's been that they haven't been that attritional really mm -hmm. they've been sort of flinging it about um, and I think that the, you know, the England game they are going to have to outscore England but they're going to have to be defensively a little bit more on it and they're going to have to have a bit more graft so I think it's a sensible decision Speaking of Scottish number eights, I don't know if either of you two saw this week, uh, sorry, last week now, uh, David Denson going from Worcester to Leicester next season and Cornell Dupreeze, who we just mentioned, uh, is moving from Edinburgh to, to Worcester. Just really quick on this, Alex, who do you reckon has got the better deal? Denson, uh, Denson with Leicester or Dupreeze with Worcester? Player-wise? Yeah. Um, I think Leicester, Denson going to Leicester has got the better deal. Um, but also, I think Denton showed when he came through quite a, quite a potential that maybe fell off for a bit. So it'd be interesting to see how he goes at Leicester. I think it could be one of the sort of, could be a really good signing for them. As long as he cuts his air, then it'll be fine. James, anything you want to add before we move on? No, not really. Yeah, I agree. Just, 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 only ever want to talk about sale, is that right? Nah, I'm happy to talk about others. I'm coming up next, aren't I, soon? Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm back. But, well, uh, I, yeah, I think I agree with Alex on that one. Uh, I just noticed that we should probably start with the Six Nations being on. We should probably mention, you know, some of these internationals that are all moving around and stuff, especially whilst uh, whilst Sale fans wait on tenterhooks to see which uh, which Southern Hemisphere internationals are going to make the leap up to up to Manchester. And as always, if we do have any news on that, we will uh, we will keep you informed. Um, but you've, you've preempted it quite well, James. Uh, you're up next. Uh, Sale travel to the wreck to play Bath, uh, continuing their, their current run of Premiership games. It's a Saturday afternoon kickoff. It's half past two. Sale travelling down to Bath. Take it away. Yeah. So, yeah, the Bath are a funny team this year. Um, in fact, they, they've been a bit of a funny team since Top Black had got there, really. Um, so their form since the beginning of January is they've won five and lost two in all competitions, which is very reasonable indeed. Um, they lost last week at the Falcons quite convincingly in the Premiership. They've qualified for the Anglo-Welsh semi-finals and they didn't qualify for the quarterfinals of the Champions Cup after getting stuffed at home against the Scarlets. Um, and when you look at their squad, they've, they've got an enormous amount of injuries almost constantly in the last two years. And yet they're still competitive, really competitive in the Premiership. Um, and they have a different way of doing it than Sale. So Sale, you know, we have a few injuries. We backfill our squad with young academy players and give them a chance. And we carry a lot of academy players as part of our, like, our senior setup. Whereas they don't do it like that at all at Bath. They just backfill with players who maybe have kind of drifted away or had long injuries somewhere else. And Blackadder seems to be able to get performance out of these people. And the list is endless. I mean, you know, some of these players, you know, you'd expect them to be rocking up at Irish or, you know, or whatever, or a yo-yo team that's coming backwards and forwards, not somebody who's quite a team that are qualifying for the Champions Cup. So, you know, players like Alad Brew, James Wilson was released by, by Saints at the end of last season, 34 years of age. Cooper Vuna was released by Worcester, was picked up and started on the left wing against the Balkans. Will Hurrell can't get in the Bristol side in the Championship at the moment. He's on loan at Bath, playing at 13. Um, Fotua Lee probably left Saints thinking that were best years behind him. Been the best nine in the Premiership probably since then. James Phillips, you know, we, we talk about some of the sale rumours. You know, he's been released by Exeter, Bristol, all the rest of it. 
and he's starting a lot for Bath this year, both in the second row and in the back row. Max Laheef went to Australia to play for them internationally, didn't make it, came back, converted to tight head. Suddenly he's a world beater. Peronise couldn't get in the Bristol side, starting at tight head for them at the moment. Um, so it's just the list is endless. Where you're seeing these people just like just yeah has beens or just average, and yet he's getting really good performance out of them. Um, and then you add to that sort of Ross Batty's come back from injury, so he's you know alleviating the game time on Tom Dunn, who's kind of had to put in a serious shift this year for them and been been excellent. Um, Zach Mercer is clearly highly talented individual being released by the England squad at the moment so is available during the Six Nations Paul Grant has been a great signing for Bath in the back play 6, 7 or 8 Banahan I think was injured versus um, the game versus um, Falcons at the weekend he certainly I don't think he played but he has been on fire for Bath so far this season um, I mean how they're letting him go and this is the big talking point as a Bath fan you've got somebody who's come through the system and has been allowed to leave to go and play for Gloucester that is grim, isn't it? As a Bath fan, that really is absolutely grim. Um, so I think there's still a team in a transition phase from the Mike Ford era, you know, with sort of where they had sort of Ford and, and Eastman in the centre and they played really attacking, brilliant rugby and Joseph was ripping teams apart. They're not like that anymore. They, you know, they've got, got athletes and competitive, experienced professionals who have been around the block and they're really well coached and they're a really difficult team to break down. I think away at Bath, coming off a loss that we've had this weekend, and Bath, the K have lost, but away from home, they will see this as a must-win to stay within the top, you know, within the top six. Uh, no Strauss for us, probably, either, uh, if he gets pit by Scotland. So I think, you know, this looks quite an ominous game for us, knowing that we've then got to go to Franklin's Gardens the week after. We we've just talked about obviously the, the Bath team at length. Um, you know, just looking at the t- you know we, we mentioned Strauss not being available. Obviously, we should point out Bath will be without Sam Underhill, Talupi Falatau, Anthony Watson, uh, Jonathan Joseph. They're missing some key players, but you look through the it's a bit like Saracens last week. You look through their team, the, the strength in depth is incredible, and they've still got some very very dangerous players. Uh, Alex, can you talk us through who who are the danger men for Bath? Like who who are the ones that you're really going to be keeping an eye on. Who do you think can can, can win the game for Bath, much to Sale's detriment? Um, I think if Freddie Burns starts at 10, he could end up being our undoing because he is the sort of 10 he was undone us before. Aaron Williams did the same to us um, when he was at Leicester, I remember. Um, so I think that is a worry. I think we'll match them up front. I've got no, no worries about that. It's just... If Burns has one of his games, they're at home, they're at the wreck. Um, I assume Photo Ali will be playing. Yeah. Um, but Chris Cook is a great player as well. You know, they've got massive strength and depth at nine. So I think that, that acts is probably, and then, you know, you've got Brew on the wing finishing. I, I really rate James Wilson as well. I think he's a very skillful player who maybe doesn't necessarily, you know, he's, he, he is advanced in his years. But he's a Kiwi, so naturally he's just good at rugby, annoyingly. Um, but yeah, that 9 and 10, if, if they fire, then especially with Bath being at home, we could be in some serious trouble. James, there's been a lot of talk about Sam Moore the last couple of weeks. He was included as an apprentice in the, in the sales squad. You mentioned, obviously, Josh Strauss being unavailable for sale. 
where look, looking at this bath team and Alex saying you know sell in theory should be able to match them up front on paper do you use this opportunity to give Sam Moore his first premiership start or do you play it safe and have John Ross at eight and then maybe look to bring Cam Neal in at six to partner with Ben Curry? It's a big ask for Sam Moore to you know, have his first premiership start away from home um, I wouldn't be surprised if they threw him in because that's what I mean Diamond just loves doing that he did it with Snoop James at Irish so I wouldn't be surprised but I think Neil's had a good season we've hardly seen him so I think um, he's probably next in line he's still young he's a academy lad wouldn't be surprised to see John Ross play play at 8 and maybe Sam Moore coming off the bench then So James obviously you're the one who does the deep dive on, on the opposition team every week where, where can Sale beat Bath where, where does Sale have a tangible advantage it's probably not going to be in kicking fly halves but there must be there must be something that Sale can definitely do better than Bath yeah, they need to play quick, really quick rugby. They've got a lot of ageing legs in this side and a heavy pack with someone like you know, James Phillips and things. So, you know, I think they need to move the ball away from contact a hell of a lot and they just need to be just absolutely relentless. Like we were at home to them in the second half where we just ran them off their feet and Bath just couldn't cope with the pace that we played at. So we need to go there and really be aggressive and, and, and play rugby. Um I really look forward to it. I think you know we could we could surprise Bath. I really wouldn't be shocked if we beat them, but I'm just a bit scared because we didn't play well against Irish and scraped the win. You know we lost at home to Saracens. Now we know mentally we've got two away games, and let's be honest, if we lose both, we're going to really struggle to finish top six. It's going to you know because we, we could be like eight points more more adrift by then. Yeah, um, and that's a hell of a thing to come back from. So, I hope that we just throw everything at this game and, and just pull pull something out. Alex, for the first time in a couple of weeks, you're Steve Diamond again. Ah, wonderful. Obviously, there are a lot of selection choices that that you, that that perhaps need to be made given the lackluster performance they'll turn in against Saracens. Obviously, if you were Diamond, if you were in charge of picking the team, what changes would you make? Obviously, we're not going to have Strauss. Um, there's a potential that they might be missing Solomona, who is with uh, who has been retained by England. Do you make wholesale changes to the team? Do you look to just sort of tweak around the edges? You know what the limitations are in terms of injuries. You know what? What do you prioritise changing ahead of the trip to Bath? Um, I'd probably keep the same team, I think, um, and it's more out of necessity than choice. Um, you look at where our team is at the moment. Got to have Faf at nine, really, starting. We've got to have Sam James at ten, assuming O'Connor's injured, which is, I'm assuming why he's not I think playing. Last we heard, it was two to three weeks last week. Yeah, exactly. Jennings, we've got to have at 12. Got to have Addison at 13, because there's no other 13s. Um, Solomon and Yard on the wings, because McGuigan's injured. Charlie's played all right last few weeks, but maybe not the game to start him in. Paolo Adogre is your other option there. Hayley's got to be at fullback because there's no one else so it sort of just comes down to who have we got because we're on a fairly threadbare squad and it is getting to the point of you know players like George Knott are in a weird situation where they almost can't push the first team because we need to keep him back because if someone else gets injured in the second round then you know so it's um I think it's going to be the same team, as I say, out of necessity rather than choice. If in an ideal world, I'd probably like to have a ten at ten, but that's being far too optimistic as the sale has. On, on that note, then you, you talk about how Sale 
can't play anyone else at 12 or 13 or 15 because we just don't have any other options. Do you think the decision not to bring in another fly half with McGinty out for two months is really going to cost sale? Do you think we're going to look back at the end of the season, you know, in seventh and say, well, actually, if we'd been able to have a, a, a proper kicking 10 at 10, put James at 13, maybe put Addison at 15 and rotate the squad a little bit better, that could have made the difference. Do you, do you agree with that, Alex, or do you think it's, it's, it's just one of those things that can't be helped? Oh, it would have undoubtedly helped, but I don't think. I think if it was possible, it would have been done. I think Orange would have not hesitated to throw the cash at it if it was possible. So I think it's probably they've had a look. Nothing's come up immediately, so it's ended up being we 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 live with what we live with. We're not operating on a shoestring like we were last time we put Sam James at ten. We are now a, a financially powerful club. So I think. It was probably a sort of commercial decision based on no one being around at the right price. Also, I think the getting a fly half in mid-season to come and do a job for just a few weeks is incredibly difficult because they've got to run the game. So I think he probably looked at it, Diamond, and maybe if McGinty was out for the whole season, he might have done something. But he thought, you know what, if I can just get through this period, I could pick up a win at Irish and at home to Saracens and then you lose the next two away games, but maybe pick up a couple of losers in bonuses, you know, then you're looking at McGinty coming back for the Worcester game, and, and he's probably thinking it's OK. So um, he's made, he's, he's made a, a judgment call, and I don't think it was necessarily the wrong one, um, because you've got somebody there with Sam James who knows the most of the plays. Right, well, we're all putting our faith in Steve Diamond having made the right decisions, um, and we're going to do it again because obviously sell travel down to Bath next week and if nothing else we are dedicated sell fans through and through with that in mind let's make some predictions um, we haven't done this for a couple of weeks because Alex uh, hasn't been around and he's the one who's been kind of keeping track of them as much as we bothered to do say you're coming to this game 8 Bath sitting two places above them in 6th it is a huge game in the context of the push for top 6 Alex who wins this one um Based on the fact that it's a huge game in the push for top six, bah, because I've been a Sale fan far too long, I know exactly what's going to happen. It's going to be a disappointing away loss. Um, so I am going to have Bath 32, Sale 10. I just don't think, based on last week's performance, based on the state of the team, based on the mentality of the team, I am wildly pessimistic about this weekend. I would love to be proved wrong. And I do think we've got the ability, but I think this is a game that goes one or two ways. Either we stay in it and fight, or we end up just doing our usual away performance. And I don't think we've quite got it in us to do what Newcastle did at Bath and go over, have a fast start, turn them over quickly, and then hold on. So, sorry to be <laughs> miserable on my return. James, what do you think? Do you agree with Alex's assessment, or do you think, uh, are you going the opposite way and predicting a settle win? Oh, no, I'm going to go Bath win unfortunately, but I'm going to go for a, a much lower scoring game just because I, I think that both teams will be a little bit nervous because a loss for either team is quite a big deal really at the moment. Um, so but I'm going to go say Bath 18, Sale 12. Isn't it all boring when we all agree? I agree that unfortunately I don't see Sale coming out of the wreck with a win, but I, I agree with both of you. I, I think it, it's going to be a nervy game. There's going to be a few tries sort of sprinkled throughout, but I really struggle to, to, to like you said, Alex, to see Sale doing what Newcastle did earlier in the season and, and get off to a fast start. 
and you know turn the ball over and really make Bath come out and play. And I think as as a result, I think Bath have too you have too many options on the pitch in terms of attacking uh, attacking players. Obviously with their with their strength and depth, they also obviously have the option of having two two proper kickers in in Priestland uh, and Freddie Byrne. So as a result, I'm going to say Sale 14. Bath 21. Losing bonus point maybe keeps us in the race for the top six, but unfortunately I can't see Sale doing, uh, doing, uh, coming away with the four points. Um, so before we bid adieu for, for another week, James, you want to give us your uh, your weekly update on the academy? Yeah. Yeah, so uh, they drew, unfortunately drew and, and surprisingly drew at home to Yorkshire, but that was vital because it means that we've qualified for finals day for two years in a row. So I think it's the first time we've done that, qualified back-to-back seasons for finals day. So we play Harlequins again for the second year running um, at finals day. And um, you know a lot of those players have just been picked in the England the 20, in the England under 18 squad. I mean, a ridiculous amount of, of sale players have been picked. Um, so huge congratulations to those and them. And we, it looks like we have a bit of a golden generation coming through, to be honest. Uh, sort of between 18 and 20. I don't know how deep your knowledge of academy rugby goes, but in that England under 18 squad, are there any names that you think we should already be looking out for? You you know, you were one of the first to predict the rise of Kieran Wilkinson and Cameron Redpath. So, Yeah, well, on Twitter I said to watch out for Bevan Rudd, who's a, who's a loose head. He sort of rampages uh, around. Sam Dugdale is played eight for sale this season is in the England under 18 squad, so he's another number eight coming through. Uh, but I think could do a job at six. Well, I think the one that Alex Shaw's just picked out on Twitter um, is Ruben Birch, who um, he described as doing a reverse Matt Banahan. So he was a winger, and he's now converted to be a second row. Uh, so he's a tall, lanky, but with gas, serious gas. So let's go with him. I'm constantly amazed about how much you know about 17, 18-year-olds playing rugby for, uh, for the local grammar school. Alex, uh, before we go, do you have anything else you want to mention? Uh, no, just thanks to Opta, and it's lovely to be back. That's great. Well, we'll speak to you guys next week.